my name is Fred Baker. If I didn't get a chance to meet you, I'm the lead pastor here. I do want to welcome a group of college students that we have here from Penn State. Um, so that's what all this is. Uh, glad y'all are here. This is your third year or fourth year with us? You know, fourth year? Is that right? Fourth year with us? We're glad y'all are here. They're staying up at Windy Gap. Is that right? And doing, serving up there and, and, and doing some fun stuff. So, so we're thrilled to have y'all. Um, it's great fun. Um, all right, so here's the deal. I don't know if you can tell by looking at me, but I'm not made to be a long-distance runner. Um, if you, thank you for the laughter. If you were uh, to do like an ancestral research on what you would probably find in my family is a lot, a lot of hardworking peasants, right? Um, you'd see a lot of potato fields, you would see a lot of hard work. My grandmother on my mother's side uh, told me stories of picking cotton uh, till her fingers bled. She, uh, her and my grandfather had 13 kids, and one of those kids remembers my grandmother picking cotton with a baby strapped to her back as she did it. On my dad's side, my grandfather delivered ice for a living. And so he would take blocks of ice and take those ice, you know, those ice claws that you'd see, and he'd carry them uh, from the ice truck into this person's ice box and did that in Texas. I remember my grandfather's arms were always like arms I wished I had, right? They were strong. That's, that's the people I come from is, is, is hard work. I love hard work, and I love when hard work pays off. Right? When you put in the effort, it pays off. What I don't like is when hard work doesn't pay off. Right? Like you put in the work and it just comes up short. Like, have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt like you've given something your very best effort only to find your hard work come up short? And maybe it's in big ways, maybe it's in small ways. It's even going to the grocery store and you're paying cash and you're short just a few dollars or a few cents. Like your hard work didn't pay off. Or maybe, Maybe you, it's even in big things. Have you ever worked hard, but your hard work just wasn't enough? Have you ever given something your very best effort only to discover your very best effort needed more? You lost the race by a tenth of a second. If you have, then you know it stings like very few other things sting. You know, I'm going to share this story. It sounds a little silly, and I promised Penn State students I didn't add this in because you're college students. I actually had this plan before y'all were here, but oddly enough, that's the way God works. And so, 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 um, and I say it's silly, but here's what happened. We had this creative team, and I was going over my message with them last Tuesday about what I was going to say, and I almost threw this story out, but as I told it to them, I started crying as I was telling them. And I'm like, okay, so this isn't silly, it's serious, and there's still maybe some work to be done in my heart, but it's silly because it involves not getting selected for a fraternity, is what this story involves. When I was a freshman in college, I wanted to join a particular fraternity, and the way our university worked, you went through rough week, and every night uh, you went to a party, and they would invite certain people back for the next night, and so the, the crowd kept getting smaller and smaller and smaller of those people who were invited. And I made it all the way through to the last night. And what they did on the last night is they sent you home and they just said, if we select you, we'll show up and knock on your door. So I went home and sat in my apartment and, and waited. I sat on the couch because I didn't want to miss them if they showed up. And I sat there 
and eventually fell asleep on the couch. When it hit was that morning when I woke up on the couch. And I realized that they never came. And that moment was probably the loneliest I've ever felt in my life. The people that I work the hardest for didn't want me. And y'all, I'm going to be honest, I nailed it in rush week. Right? I was the social butterfly, networking. I was introducing new people to the people in the fraternity. I nailed it, but they didn't want me. And it stung. And maybe you've been somewhere like this, where you're sitting on the couch, and whoever they is, they never came. You see, in that moment, my good enough wasn't good enough because they didn't want me. And so, y'all, this is what we're going to see today. What do you do when you're good enough isn't good enough? What do you do when you're good enough isn't good enough? Sitting on the couch waiting for a fraternity to show up is one thing. But what we're going to talk about today is what do you do when you're good enough isn't good enough for God? What do you do when you're good enough isn't good enough for God? That you've done everything you know to do, you've, you, you, you've taken all the steps, you've, you've walked in obedience, and yet it feels like God's knocking on somebody else's door down the hall and not yours. What do you do when you're good enough isn't good enough? And see, this is what we're going to see as we look today in Hebrews, that despite your best efforts, your good enough isn't good enough for God. And that moment is one of the loneliest places you can be. And we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 4. Um, if you need a Bible, there's some in front of you. If you're using that Bible, it's on page 843. Or if you have the Bible app on your phone, uh, you can go to events and click on Fellowship Asheville, and the scripture is there with a place for you to take notes, um, and you can save those uh, for future reference. And, and, and the question this question of what do you do when you're good enough isn't good enough, that's what we're gonna be talking about today. And, and we're in this series in Hebrews, and we've called this series in Hebrews greater than, which is what that symbol is up there. To take us all back to elementary school. And those of you from Penn State, we, we're, we're, what, six, eight weeks into this. And we keep seeing how Jesus is greater than all these different things in our lives. He's greater than, than our ups and our downs. He's greater, greater than our fears and our doubts. He's greater than our failures, and he's greater even than our successes. We're seeing over and over again how Jesus is greater than, and what we're going to see today is that Jesus is greater than our good enough. Let's look at verse 1, and let's just jump right in, because we've got a whole chapter to get through today. It says, therefore, while the, promise of, of, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. Now, this is a little, little, the wording's a little weird on here. If you have an NIV, I kind of like the reading of that better. It says, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short on it. And so what he's talking about, remember, there's a lot that we don't know about the book of Hebrews, right? We know it's in the New Testament, so, so we know it was after the resurrection of Christ. We know that it's to a group of believers, but we don't know who wrote it. We don't even know who spoke it because this book is different than other books in the New Testament. Other books in the New Testament are formatted like letters. There's a greeting at the beginning and a, and a benediction at the end. This one is different, and it's different because it's not a letter that was written. It was a sermon that was preached. 
And so here's why it's called Hebrews, because we do know one thing about this book. We know it was preached to a group of Hebrews, of Hebrew believers, people who grew up under the nation of Israel. And so because of that, this preacher takes certain things for granted that we don't understand. He'll speak of of Jewish history. He'll speak of the Old Testament as if y'all know it, as if they knew it because they did. And last week, he referenced an event uh, of the nation of Israel being freed from the land of Egypt and, and, and going to the land of promise that God had promised to give them. And there's this moment where they're standing right on the cusp of entering that land. And instead of choosing faith and entered it, they chose fear. And, and, and since they chose fear, they couldn't enter the land that God had promised to give them. And that's what started the 40 years of wandering. And they wanted to go back to Egypt to their slavery with this promised land, literally a stone's throw away across the river. And this preacher asked the Hebrew congregation, what we saw last week, he asked his Hebrew congregation to consider their own hearts. Where in your life have you chosen fear over faith, just like this nation of Israel did? Because when you choose faith, there is this promised land waiting for you. There is this rest waiting for you. And so I asked you to do the same thing. Where in your life have you chosen fear over faith? And as y'all searched your hearts, I'm sure you all came up with not only one, but multiple places in your life where you've chosen fear over faith. And the question in your heart is the same question in this Hebrews congregation's heart is, if we've chosen fear over faith, has God done to us what he did to the nation of Israel? If I've messed up, have I missed out? That's the question that this verse is anticipating. If I've chosen fear over faith, what have I missed out on? And so what this preacher is going to do is he's going to help them work through that question. And the question is, has my good enough not been good enough? Is God knocking on someone else's door down the hall because I've chosen fear over faith? Is that what this feels like? When I preach you to the Hebrews, is going to address this. Look at verse 2. It says, For the good news, for good news came to us just as to them. And the good news that he's referring to is, is he's referring back to the, to the illustration he used last week about entering the promised land. This nation had a promise of a place that God was going to take them. And that was the good news to them that, that they could leave the nation of Egypt. They could leave slavery and go to this land that God had promised them. They had this promise of good news. We have this promise uh, of a person. They had a promise of a place. We have a promise of a person. And that's good news. That we can leave our slavery and go to our promised person of Jesus. Look at the rest of verse 2. It says, For the good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. So remember, in, this, in the, the illustration you used last week, it was, it was the, they're standing there at the, at the river banks, and on the other side of the river is the promised land, And God told Moses, pick spies to go into the land to check it out. And these spies went into the land, and for 40 days, they they wandered through the promised land, and they came back with good news and bad news. They came back saying, man, it is a land flowing with milk and honey. But the bad news is there are warriors that live there. There are giants that live there. There's no way God is going to be able to give us that land. And so, so the nation had a a moment then, or are they going to choose fear and believe these 
spies or were they gonna choose faith and believe that God has given them this land and if he gives them this land, he's gonna provide a way to get that land. And all the spies except for two chose fear. Joshua and Caleb chose faith. But fear did what fear does and it spread. And the nation of Israel chose fear and they weren't able to enter that promised land. That's what led to the 40 years of wandering because God said this generation has to die off before you can enter the promised land. And he wanted faith to be the way that, in, that enters God's promise, not fear. And so for 40 years they wandered and that generation died off and they entered the promised land under the leadership of Joshua, the man of faith that spoke faith from the very beginning. And what this preacher is doing is he's setting this up. He wants us to remember where he was he wants us to remember where we were last week because he's gonna explain that rest. Now that the, the nation is entering the promised land, what exactly does it mean to enter the rest of God? What is exactly does it mean to know that you're good enough isn't good enough for God? And, and instead of it feeling like this tension and this striving and this work and fear, instead there's a path of faith that feels like rest and feels like reward. Look at verse three. It says, for we who have believed enter that rest. You see, and you believe and you choose faith and you enter this rest, Joshua and Caleb got to enter the promised land and he's telling this Hebrew congregation that they get to enter a certain rest too when they believe. And we get to enter a certain rest when we believe in faith instead of, instead of walk in fear. And he's gonna expand this rest a little bit more. It says, for we who have believed enter that rest. As he has said, I as I swore in my wrath, you shall not enter my rest. Remember, that's what what would happen to the nation of Israel. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. Now, if you weren't confused leading up to this verse, you are completely lost now, right? Because all of a sudden, this preacher has gone from talking about the nation of Israel entering rest to uh, quoting a psalm about entering rest, and now he's talking about God resting on the seventh day. Remember, this is a preacher preaching to a predominantly Hebrew congregation. And if you were that congregation, you would have learned to read and write by memorizing the first five books of the Bible. Imagine that, memorizing Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, not just the names of them like I just did, but the words of them, right? I've been trying to memorize Psalm 37, eight weeks, I'm eight verses in. Can you imagine memorizing the first five books of the Bible. Since they've done that, he knows that they know that there's something different about the seventh day of creation than all the other days of creation. Because all the other days of creation, at the end of telling what was created that day, it always has this phrase, and there was night and there was morning. The first six days of creation, there's this marker at the end of it, that there was night and there was morning. The seventh day where God rested doesn't have that marker. And if you were a Hebrew and you had memorized that, you would know that, that the seventh day is different than all the other days. And what this Hebrew pastor is doing, this Hebrew preacher, is he's taking that and using it as an illustration. Now, he's not making a doctrinal statement about creation. Right? That's a different sermon for a different day. He's using it as an illustration to say, what happened that day that God rested, since there's no marker on it, 
It shows us that God's rest is still available today. It didn't stop at the end of the seventh day. It keeps on going. And his point here is that this rest that he's talking about is always available. This rest in faith has been available since the very beginning of all things, and this reward cannot be experienced when we choose fear. There is another option to fear, and it's faith. And when you step out in faith, there is a rest that's always available when you do that. Look at verse 5. It says, and again, this passage, he said, and they shall not enter, and they shall not enter my rest, since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter it because of disobedience. Again, he points to a certain day today, saying through David, so long afterward, and the words already quoted, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, for if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken another day later on. Here's what that means. Right? He pointed to three different events, to Genesis, to Joshua, and to, and to David in the Psalms. And he said, listen, this same rest, it started in Genesis. Genesis 7, God rested and it was available. Then it says that Joshua led the nation of Israel into that rest. Okay, so it started in Genesis. Now it's available to Joshua. Did it stop there? And this point is, no, it didn't stop there because David, hundreds of years later, writes a psalm about this event and he uses one key word that helps us to understand that that rest is still available because David, in Psalm 95, says, today, today, if you harden your heart, today, enter his rest. And so he's showing that that rest didn't end with Genesis. It didn't end with Joshua. And his point is, if it didn't end with David, it's still available even now. That that rest is available even today because it keeps on going. It says, so then, so then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. That rest is available to you today. This rest, this reward for choosing faith, it isn't just for them, it's for you too. And so let's step back real quick because what we're talking about is when you're good enough isn't good enough. What do you do when your best effort isn't good enough? What do you do when your best effort isn't good enough for people? What do you do when your best effort doesn't feel good enough for God? When it feels like God's knocking on someone else's door, you're sitting on your couch, you've been doing the work, you're waiting for him to show up, and he hasn't shown up. Your good enough isn't good enough. You've chosen faith, but it doesn't feel like rest. It feels like anxiety. It feels like depression. What do you do? Well, it's important for us to understand the way this preacher is seeing rest. Because oftentimes when we think of rest, we think of an Eno between two trees, right? Kicked back, perfect wind blowing, sun bouncing through the leaves of the trees. It's great. Or we think of a good cup of coffee and a comfy chair and a book and a journal, and that feels like rest. We think of binging Netflix, and it feels like rest. That's not, the, it is restful. All those things are fantastic and restful. I mean, the binging Netflix can get a little obsessive, but, um, but, but, but if it's a good show, I mean, who's to judge? Um, that's not this preacher's view of rest. It's something different. This preacher's view of rest is this, that rest equals rewards. And here's what I mean by that. 
This rest equals being able to enjoy the benefits of God the benefits of having a relationship with God. You see, he talked about this good news, this promise, and, and that to the nation of Israel, they were promised this land that they could only enter by faith, not by fear, not by works, not by striving, but it was by faith. We have this promise of a person, not, a, not just a place. We have this promise of a person, and his name is Jesus, and that is our good news, and that is our gospel. And what Jesus did is he fixed the relationship that was broken between God and us. Right, that when, when Adam and Eve sinned, it started something that we've added to the pot ever since, and that is this broken relationship with God. And all throughout biblical history, there has been one way to fix that relationship, and it's faith. Before Jesus came, it was faith in a coming Messiah. Now that Jesus is here and we know his name, it is faith in the Messiah that has come. And that is our good news. When we say yes to Jesus, we get God. Because Jesus fixed that broken relationship. So when we say yes to Jesus, we get the benefit of the relationship with God. That's the rest that he's talking about is salvation. But there's another rest that's implied in this too. Not only are we saved when we say yes to Jesus, but when we walk in that faith, and when we choose faith over fear, we get the enjoyment of God. So not only do we get the experience of God in salvation, but we get the enjoyment of God in this day-to-day -day walk with him. And that is rest. Not only, not only did they get the place of God, the land of promise, experiencing God's promise, they got the enjoyment of God. Because remember, that land was a land flowing with milk and honey, and it was this great place to be. And so they got to enjoy that land. And what it looks like for us is when we're daily choosing to follow God and we're choosing faith over fear, there is rest in that relationship with God. There is enjoyment in it. And it looks like this. Sometimes it looks like joy, like we have joy and turmoil, right? Uh, we watched, I watched Billy Graham's funeral on Thursday. Was that Thursday, Friday? Friday. And what you saw in every person that came up to speak was joy and grief, right? They loved that man, but there was a joy in their heart talking about him. That's what rest looks like. It's joy and, and, and turmoil. It's peace when it's chaos. It's creativity in the moment. It's words of comfort and healing right when you need them. And when rest comes, what rest looks like is realizing that God's not at the person next door's door. He's actually at your door. That's what rest is, that God, because of Jesus, is always at your door. There's this first um, uh, there's this verse in, in Revelation, Revelation 3.20, and it captures this picture so well. And it says this. This is Jesus speaking. He says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. And here's why I highlight this verse, because it captures what this preacher is saying to this Hebrew nation, that Jesus is standing at your door and he's knocking. And when you say yes to him, you get this relationship with God that didn't exist before you said yes to Jesus. And not only do you get the experience of the relationship, you get the enjoyment of the relationship. Jesus doesn't come in and just start cleaning your house for you, right? He comes in and he sits down to have a meal with you. 
And what I love about this verse is it's not just you talking to him. It's not just him talking to you. It's a relationship. He eats with you and you eat with him. That's rest. That's the reward. That's the benefit of salvation and the enjoyment of God. And so not only does God come into your place, he has this meal with you that Jesus is our rest. Jesus equals rest. Look at verse 10. It says, For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. This preacher is saying, listen, the rest that we're talking about is still available today. To you, it's available just like it was to David, just like it was to Joshua, and just like it's been since Genesis. It's available. And so what do you do When you feel like your good enough isn't good enough, you remember that Jesus is greater than your good enough. Now, the reason we have this greater than symbol in a circle is because it, 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 well, we just did it graphically for one reason. Secondly, after we did it, it reminded me of all those fill-in-the-blank tests, you know, where you have the circle and you have to put the greater than symbol the right way, or you can flip it around the other way. And what I've learned is that, that we do that with Jesus, right? We put Jesus on one side and whatever it is on the other. Like, in this sermon, it'd be Jesus is over here, good enough is over here, and we have the choice to flip that greater than symbol around to see which one we think is actually greater. Is Jesus greater than our good enough, or is our good enough greater than Jesus? Because one is faith, the other is fear. And that's what this preacher is saying. When Jesus is greater than you're good enough, you get to rest. But here's the kicker. And the next verse is where confusion sets in too because it looks like our rest requires work. Look at verse 11. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Here's what this preacher is saying. Just like the nation of Israel stood on those riverbanks that day and had a choice between fear or faith, every day you're gonna have the opportunity to choose fear or to choose faith. Not in a salvation sense. When you say yes to Jesus, you are saved and you are secure. And every day Satan's gonna try and and tempt you and tell you that that's not the case. And every day, there's going to be an opportunity, multiple opportunities, for you to choose faith over fear. And in that moment, when you're trying to decide faith or fear, you know what it feels like, is it feels like work. Because you have to make the choice. Are you going to choose faith? Are you going to choose fear? Every day, this preacher is saying, This rest, this enjoyment of a relationship with God is available for you when you choose faith. This reward and this rest is available. And just like the rest is always available, so is the opportunity to enjoy the reward. However, this reward is available to you when you choose faith. Now, Take you back to math school. Um, there's this thing called a transitive relationship or a transitive relation, all right? I'm gonna start it, and I bet you can finish it, right? If A equals B and B equals C, then A equals C. See, you got it. Good job. I'm so proud of y'all, all right? That formula works for us today. If Jesus equals our rest, right, which we've already talked about, 
and rest equals our reward, our enjoyment of God, then Jesus is our reward. He is the only way to enjoy a relationship with God. There is no other way to enjoy a relationship with God other than Jesus. He is our salvation and our enjoyment of God. And here's the point. Our good enough is never good enough. We have a a dog in our house who is a perfect dog in many ways. She actually has been trained to be a perfect dog. She's a service dog for my son who's autistic. And so she goes with him to school. You put that service dog vest on her and she becomes the most obedient dog you've ever seen, ever. Like literally, I've had people almost offer their children to switch for our dog, right? I've had many people offer us their dogs to switch, which I've never taken. But you take that vest off of her and she's just a dog. And here's what Addie has learned. That's her name, Addie. She has learned that when we're in the kitchen cooking, there's a good chance she's gonna get something off the counter. If my wife is the one cooking, there's a really good chance that something is gonna be thrown off the counter for her, right? And so what she does is even with her vest off, she starts acting like the perfect dog. And she takes this position, we call it sitting pretty, right? Because she will come in and she will sit down and it looks like she is posing for the national dog show or something, right? She takes this perfect pose and just sits there and waits, hoping that if she's good enough, we'll throw her a scrap of food. And y'all, we do the same thing with God, don't we? We sit there, and if we act just right, and if we do exactly what God has told us to do, then he will do what we want him to do. And y'all, here's what I've seen over and over again. God feels zero obligation to answer our questions. He feels zero obligation to do what we want him to do because he's given us something greater than answers and something greater than our expectations. He's given us himself. And so we don't have to be good enough because of Jesus. That Jesus is greater than our good enough. And here's what it feels like when that happens. Look at verse 12. It says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit and joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him whom we must give an account. See, in that moment when you choose faith or fear, there is a way for you to find out why you're doing what you do, and it is the word of God. And this preacher's point here is that that word of God, the Bible that you're holding in your hand, the Bible that you have on your phone, it is able to expose everything that's hidden. And you think about this was written in a time where there weren't medical schools around, where they knew the anatomy and physiology in depth of how the human body works. And yet this preacher understood that God will expose what is completely hidden and he will separate truth from lies. And if that sounds scary to you, that your Bible can do that, he also provides comfort in the next couple of verses. 
Since then, we have this great high priest, that's Jesus, who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. What this means is when you're in that moment between choosing faith and fear, that you are not alone in that moment. When the Bible has exposed your heart and, 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 the, and you see the sin that's there, you have a high priest who has walked in those exact same steps. He's been tempted in every way that you are. In every style of temptation that has always been available, that's still available to you, Jesus has been there, and yet he is without sin. And that Jesus can help you choose faith over fear, can help you know why Sometimes fear is, is much more tempting than faith. And look at what the ultimate reward is. In verse 16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find help in our time of need. Y'all, this verse, verse 16, I have clung to this week in a way that I haven't maybe in my entire life, because fear has reared its head more this week than in any week in my memory. It's funny how God works that way, that I preach a message on fear over faith and choosing fear instead of faith, and then the week that follows is one of the most fearful weeks of my life. And my sermon kept coming back to my head, (laughs) choose faith. And each time fear rose its ugly head, I ran to God. And in him, I found comfort and encouragement. I found conviction. I found wisdom. And, and what this preacher is saying is that any time, because of Jesus, you can come to where God is. God is where you are any time. Whether you're in your Eno, swinging between a couple of trees, you can go to God's throne room. If you're sitting in your cubicle at work, you can go to God's throne room. In your car, as you're driving around town, you can go to God's throne room. If you're at the baby's changing table, you can go to God's throne room. Anywhere you are, you can go to God because of Jesus. Not because you're good enough, but because of Jesus. You know, that night, when I woke up on the couch, um, or that morning when I woke up and realized nobody had come that night from the fraternity I wanted to join, it really was the loneliest moment I have probably ever felt. I wasn't a believer then. I didn't know Jesus then. He knew me, but I didn't know him. And um, I tried again the next semester. I went through Rush again. And I went through all the parties I got to the last night again and waited. Went back to the same couch, same apartment, and waited. And this time, somebody knocked. Now, this isn't a Jesus juke where I tell you Jesus was there. Um, He wasn't. Uh, Sigma Alpha Epsilon was there. It was a different fraternity. And the pledge class was there that I got to become a part of. The fraternity was there, 
and they pulled me out of my apartment and ushered me into uh, what would be a very interesting experience. But in that pledge class, I met a guy named Victor. And Victor introduced me to Jesus. Victor wasn't in the other fraternity. You see, that rest, my good enough wasn't good enough because it wasn't God's best for me. God's best is your rest. God's best is your reward. And Jesus is our rest and Jesus is our reward. Today we, we have communion and Penn State guys, we would love to have y'all join us. Uh, you don't have to be a member of fellowship uh, to come to the table for communion. Uh, the way we do it is that you have said yes to Jesus. You are a Jesus follower. And if you are a Jesus follower, communion is yours. And if you're not a Jesus follower, if, if church to you has been about what you do and what you don't do and about being good enough or not being good enough, then listen up. Because I want you to know Christianity isn't about that. Christianity is about Jesus. That's why we're called Christians, not do rightians, right? We're not called Biblians. We're called Christians because our faith is about Jesus and letting him be your good enough. And so if you haven't said yes to Jesus yet, do that today. And come to this table and say yes to Jesus and let him be your bridge to God. Many of us in this room have already said yes to Jesus, but you know what? We still act like Addie, don't we? And we still try and be good enough to make God happy. Let's kill that today. And let's let Jesus be our good enough because he's greater than our good enough. And when you come to this table today, the way we do it here is, is the, the band will come up and play some music because we wanna give you time uh, to, to be with God. And if there is something that you know God has asked you to do in faith, but you are holding on to fear instead, you deal with God with that before you come to this table. And you let that fear die, and you step out in faith today and do what God is asking you to do, and you be who God is asking you to be. Those of you who are here from Penn State and anybody else here uh, that's a college student, one of the great things I heard about your 20s and 30s is that if you wanna have a successful 50s and 60s, you've gotta have a good 20s and 30s. And the way you have a good 20s and 30s is by knowing how to say yes to the right things and no to the wrong things. And if you are here you're, and you're in your 20s and 30s, your best yes is Jesus. And knowing that God will walk with you every step of the way to figure out what the next best yes is. So as we come to this table, Jesus is our best yes for enjoyment, for reward, and so that we can enter the throne of God from wherever we are. Jesus is greater than our good enough. Let's pray.